If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 496. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. This is B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, learn true, T-R-U-E, learn true history.com, or click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can get a book plate if you want my autograph of one of my books. Got a lot of those. My newest is The Jeffersonian Tradition. You can also pick up a class at McClanahan Academy or 12. I have a lot of those for sale. My best seller is The War for Southern Independence, but I've got Many, many others, and my most recent class, Originalist Papers Part 4, the fourth part and final part in the series of 101 documents in favor of ratification of the Constitution. It is awesome. You're going to want to hear these documents because it will change your perspective on what the Constitution means and how the founding generation sold it to the states. I think that is the important thing to get. So all those things help support the show financially. And, of course, this show only exists. I give this to you free of charge so that you can perhaps support it in another way. And share the podcast around on social media. Rate it where you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Now, one of the big topics of the news cycle recently has been the United States withdrawal from Afghanistan. And if you want to know what the neoconservatives think, you've got to go right to the source on this issue. We know they're, they're are hot and bothered over this. They do not want the United States to withdraw from Afghanistan, even after Trump made the promise that he was going to do that and, of course, also have some impact with NATO and other things. We know the neoconservatives that were in his administration were certainly not in favor of it and slow walk the process. Now, most of the neoconservatives were happy when Trump was gone because that meant, in their mind, the United States would stay in Afghanistan. Of course, Biden completely rejected all of the belligerency of the Democrats and everything else for the last 20 years and took the United States out of of Afghanistan. And we're going to be out by September, which means that now the headlines are Taliban takes control of this province. Taliban takes control of this city. Taliban takes control of that. And of course, the neoconservatives are going nuts over this because what was the war for? Well, that question was asked a long time ago, by prescient old people of the old right and old libertarians. I mean, they were asking this question then. What was the war for? If you think about the immorality of the war in this particular way, now we know that, of course, the Taliban in Afghanistan harbored Osama bin Laden. We know that happened. We know the Taliban have never been our friends. Of course, as McCarthy points out, we created that. I'm going to talk about Andrew McCarthy. You go right to the source of the neocons. Andrew McCarthy is the piece I'm going to talk about today. But we created the Taliban through Pakistan. Pakistan was never our ally. So the situation is American-made. 
But Bin Laden, who was also working for the CIA at one point, I mean, this is, this is all known, Bin Laden was protected by the Taliban. And so when the United States asked for Bin Laden, the Taliban refused, and so the United States goes in. But I don't think Americans really supported wholesale regime change and occupation indefinitely, which is what we have. If you look at the soldiers that are in Afghanistan right now, some of them, if they go there and they're 18 years old, those kids weren't even born yet on 9-11. They weren't even born yet. Even soldiers that are 19 weren't even born yet. And some that are 20 weren't even born yet. Well, I guess they were. They were babies, right? There are 20 right now. They were babies for 9-11. So we've been there for 20 years. They weren't even cognizant of what was happening at that point. We've got babies during that attack that are now fighting in Afghanistan. The immorality of that is tremendous. This is a long war. It's the longest war in American history, if you don't want to count the Cold War, which had several hot wars involved in it. It's the longest war in American history. We've been in Afghanistan now for 20 years. The subtitle of this piece I'm going to read from Andrew McCarthy is, uh, we're at the same place we were September 10th, 2001, when it comes to Afghanistan. If, once we withdraw, we're at the same place. We gain nothing in 20 years. So if you look at the pragmatic side of this, the United States has not suffered a terrorist attack like September 11th in 20 years. So the neoconservatives can point to that and say, well, it's our occupation of Afghanistan. It's our involvement in Iraq. It's our, it's our belligerency towards Iran. It's all of these things that have helped keep massive terrorist attacks at bay in the United States. And perhaps if you say, okay, well, maybe they have a point there. Uh, occupation of these regions, uh, clamping down on potential terrorist activity, Islamic terrorist activity in these regions has stopped because they've been fighting the United States there instead of here, has stopped those type of massive attacks. And so on that, on that side, I mean, that's good. We don't want any of these attacks. We don't want anything like that here in the United States. And I could say that, Okay, well, this could be a problem if you come out of Afghanistan if you don't have the corollary to that, which is what nobody on the left or the right, at least the neoconservatives, even the Claremont people, well, the Claremont people are a little more on board with this than not, and I think they would support it. Um, and certainly Trump supported it, but it would be a travel ban. It would be an absolute ban from people entering the United States from any areas that would be in favor of Islamic terrorism in any way. You just say you can't come in the United States anymore. Now, the left would be more against this. I, I would say probably the neoconservatives might even support that. We know the Claremont people are certainly um, against uh, unlimited immigration. We know the old right would certainly be in favor of this. Libertari old libertarians, paleo-libertarians, certainly. Uh, the problem is you're going to have the leftists on in all the spectrum. They're going to be against it. And, of course, the courts are going to come in and say, yeah, you can't ban people from these countries simply because they're Islamists. That would be something that would be uh, unconstitutional. Well, I mean, we know that's not true because the United States has gone out and banned people from all kinds of places at all kinds of times, and it was never declared unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. And people recognize this, that the, the Congress can say you can't come into the United States now, we could talk about whether that is constitutional or not from an originalist perspective. I mean, we know the founding generation certainly was more open to immigration than maybe we are today. But even George Washington said when he was asked about 
Muslims entering the United States. He was fine with it as long as they behaved, which meant as long as they didn't do something like a 9-11 or uh, you know, something like that. So he wouldn't have been fine with it then. So uh, this is a big question. You're gonna, if you're, if you're going to do some of these things, one of the best ways to do it would be to lock down and, and create an environment where you couldn't have these type of individuals in the United States as terror cells to cause problems. I mean, this could be something that, and, and now you're going to have to go, you know, whole cl- blanket on this. I mean, there could be people that certainly there would be people that would not do these things in the United States. And we also know that sometimes the people who get involved in these things are not first-generation immigrants, but second-generation immigrants who become disaffected. They're, they don't have the rose-colored glasses that their parents had when they arrived in the United States thinking things are going to be great. Now they're a second-generation. Things haven't really improved that much for them. Maybe, uh, maybe they, or even, even if they're affluent and they've done well, they still don't feel like they fit in. So they create, there's an anti-American animosity there. And there's been some studies on that which are rather interesting. But if you want to know what the neocons think about this, you go right to the source, and that's National Review. The Weekly Standard is gone. That would have been a great website. But uh, the National Review and Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy is the neocon's neocon when it comes to foreign policy. This guy hasn't found a place yet. He doesn't want to invade a war he doesn't support. And, of course, he is livid over the fact that the United States has decided to pull out of Afghanistan. And then you've got people on the left, even left libertarians, others who are blaming people like Rand Paul or Ron Paul for planting the seeds of this anti-interventionism in the libertarian movement. However, that's stupid because libertarians have always considered invasion to be unjust. Uh, And in, in fact, you know, invading Afghanistan, you could certainly make a case, was unjust, right? I mean, once we got bin Laden, then what are you doing? Um, So bin Laden needed to be taken to task. But Ron Paul had a great response to that. Well, give people letter of the mark and reprisal. You don't have to invade the country. If you just want bin Laden, well, there's plenty of military contractors out there that would love to have free reign to say, we're giving you a letter of mark. You know what that means? You can go anywhere to get this guy. You do anything you need to get him. Basically, you become a pirate under the guise, a privateer, under the guise of the United States government. You are operating as a private soldier with American backing to get this guy, and you go get him. doesn't matter how you have to do it, you go do it. And so that kind of stuff, you're creating bounty hunters, essentially, is legal under the Constitution. And this is what, so if you have domestic terrorists or uh, international terrorists or whatever it is that need to be taken care of, these are the kind of things you do. So I think that they're all interested. Anybody that would say that, well, we didn't want some type of retaliation for 9-11 is foolish. Something needed to be done. Thousands of people were killed. Uh, It was a horrible event. Again, people that are listening to this that are too young to remember it, and that would be most people in their 20s now, in their early 20s in particular, uh, don't remember much of that day. Uh, Even people in the late 20s were kids when it happened. And it it was tough. Uh, so something had to be done, but invading Afghanistan, using it as a as a uh, just a blank check to invade the Middle East, essentially that's what happened. What was Iraq for? I mean, lots of people, lots of American soldiers died in Iraq. What was that for? Uh, you can make a better case for Afghanistan than you can Iraq, but at the end of the day, are we willing as the United States government or the people of the United States to have an indefinite occupation of Afghanistan? We know other powers have tried it. The British tried it. 
didn't work out very well. The Russians, the Soviets tried it, didn't work out very well. We know that this has been a problem region of the world for a long time for Western, for Western society. So why would the United States be any different? So let's read this piece from McCarthy. It's not a long piece. And of course, Biden's been on television saying, look, I hold, I don't feel any responsibility for what's happening. I mean, they have to take care of themselves. That's a great response from Joe Biden. The Afghan people should have to take care of Afghanistan. If what they want is the Taliban, if what they want is radical Islamist government, well, that's what they're going to get. Right? I mean, this is what happens in, in any, any situation. You get the government you endure. You deserve the government you endure. So if Americans are willing to endure all the stuff we're enduring now, well, then we deserve it. So McCarthy says, accountability for the Capitol rioters is not enough, we're told. Progressives insist there must be a national reckoning for the January 6th insurrection because punishing the rioters is insufficient to defeat the real enemy. White supremacism and its endorsement of terrorism when necessary to achieve its vision for society. Of course, he's saying this is all hogwash. That wasn't really what happened in, in January, which I agree. But um, this is what the left says. It is a cartoon depiction of reality. No belief system is held in more disdain in the United States than white supremacism. To most of us, it is a perversion of the core conviction that we all created in God's image, all equal in human dignity, and must thus all be equal in the eyes of the law. Well, I think that's what most people would recognize as equality. For the left, though, white supremacism is a convenient abstraction, one that gives opportunists the foundation needed to build a systemic racism dystopia their path to influence and profit. I agree with them here. I mean, this is exactly what the left is doing. This is why it's all so stupid, because it's just a means to an end for them, whatever boogeyman they can come up with to create that would allow them to simply achieve power. But where McCarthy is incongruent is that he doesn't read this, really realizes the exact same thing the right does, or at least the neoconservative right, to gain power with the boogeyman. Now, he's saying radical Islamism is not a boogeyman. It's not. Uh, he's saying white supremacism is a boogeyman, but the other one's not, so we need to be careful and, and go and attack the other. But what's the difference? I mean, the left would say radical Islam is a boogeyman. That it's not, I mean, most Islamic people aren't, aren't going to do these things, and they're okay. And So wh where is the boogeyman? Where, where is the reality, is what the left would say. I'm sorry. What is remarkable, then, is the perdurable blindness of progressives to a much more threatening breed of ideologically driven violence and furtherance of a supremacist, incorrigibly discriminatory vision for society. Not white supremacism, but Sharia supremacism. They've never wanted to acknowledge it, much less come to grips with it. So he's saying the left won't recognize how bad Sharia law actually is and that you have these radical Islamists that want to kill people. I mean, this is, this is McCarthy's shtick. This is what he does over and over again. And so to create a boogeyman, the two minutes of hate that you need to go out and, of course, have extreme power, which would be the United States military. As a result, the inevitable is coming to pass and all the horror some of us have long warned about. The Taliban are right on schedule in their request to retake Afghanistan by September 11th, the 20-year anniversary of the 9-11 atrocities executed by al-Qaeda, a jihadist network to which the Taliban knowingly and willfully gave sanctuary as it plotted against and repeatedly attacked the United States. Now, as Tom Woods has pointed out, and I joke with him, you know, why do you hate freedom? All the neocons running around, uh, you know, with all their bluff and bluster about this 
are certainly fine with a type of totalitarianism taking place in the United States today with vaccine passports and other things. I mean, we're so worried about Afghanistan when we've got real, real totalitarianism right here on our shores. Why aren't we taking care of that first? You see, this is the argument when we cast our eyes to the distance and we say, let's take care of Afghanistan or Iraq or Europe or South America or Asia. If we cast our eyes there, we don't take care of here. And Biden said, look, I've got to do what's in the best interest of the United States of America here. Well, that's actually the right thing to say. This is what Trump, this, that's make America great again. This is all Trump said, but because Trump said it is bad, but because Biden said it is good. Same thing. Now, McCarthy has been against it when Trump did it. He, in fact, was a never-Trumper. He's against it when Biden does it. So at least he's consistent. I've noted that the Taliban and al-Qaeda are poised by the anniversary date to be as strong as they were in the three years leading up to 9-11, during which, with its safe havens assured by the Sharia supremacist regime, the jihadist network bombed U.S. embassies in eastern Africa and nearly sank a U.S. Navy destroyer. Actually, I understand the matter. As they swallow up more provinces by the day, the Taliban are capturing northern regions that did, that did not rule when last in charge. It is all part of a long-standing plan to take over Afghanistan while U.S. forces are still a retreating presence, thus projecting the image of the Taliban chasing out a humiliated enemy, an image President Biden seems even more anxious to mint than was President Trump. Well, I think, look, if you go back and you study military history, what the what happened in Afghanistan was a simple Fabian strategy. It's what the United States used to win the American War for Independence. It's what any type of uh, inferior power uses to ultimately win. It's a war of attrition. You wear them down. It's what the Vietnamese did in Vietnam. You wear down the invading enemy and you get them out because they just get tired of fighting. It's essentially what happened to the, to the Romans in the Punic Wars. The Carthaginians were beating up the Romans pretty badly in the first Punic War, and then they got tired of it and said, look, we don't, we don't want to do this somewhere. It's too expensive. What is it going to take for, for uh for you to, uh, to have peace with us. And so the Romans were able to add overseas provinces because of that. I mean, it's, this is what happens. And the Romans were wearing down the Carthaginians. And of course, at one point with uh, the Second Punic Wars and the Battle of Zama, they took it to the enemy. But I mean, that's, that's a whole other situation. Here we're seeing the same thing in Afghanistan. Can you imagine then what a laugh the Taliban must have gotten over U.S. envoy Zalme Khalizad's farcical admonition echoed by Biden's spokeswoman Jen Psaki, or as Biden would say, Jen Paki, that if the Taliban don't stop doing what they've been telling everyone they do for 20 years, i.e. defeat the United States, steamroll the American-backed joke of a government in Kabul and retake the country, the U.S. will see to it that they are denied, yes, international legitimacy. Well, I agree. Again, this is a weak thing. Because, of course, as McCarthy points out, China, Russia, and Iran are already bracing the Taliban. The better to rub Washington's nose in it when Kabul collapses. As Khalizad well knows, the Taliban got along just fine without international legitimacy when they last ran the place. Back then, they were recognized by Saudi Arabia, the front of Sunni Sharia supremacism, the Saudis' sidekicks in the United Arab Emirates, and our ally Pakistan, which, with the blessing of the Clinton administration, spawned the Taliban as a geopolitical weapon, mainly against India. That was more than enough. Uh, so yes, I mean, creating the Taliban by the United States, I mean, this was what we did. 
But it was not just the Clinton administration. He's going to blame it on the Clintons. The Taliban was created long before that, during the Cold War, because we had to get the Soviets out of Afghanistan, and we couldn't send weapons in to Afghanistan directly. So we had to go through someone, and to do that, we had to go through Pakistan, and to do that, we had to go through the Islamic government in Pakistan, and they would not let us contact them directly. So they said, you give us the weapons, and we'll give them to who we want, and of course, that would be the Taliban. So we created it during the Cold War. This is the gift that keeps on giving, the Cold War. The Taliban are not like Professor Khalidzad's former colleagues in the Columbia Faculty Lounge. They do not crave international legitimacy. They find the very concept redolent of Western global dominance, to be anathema. They never wanted to be us. They defined themselves as the anti-US, or the anti-us. The name Taliban means students. What they're students of is Sharia, Islam's ancient legal code and societal framework, as fundamentalists have construed it since the 10th century. The Taliban perceive legitimacy by nothing other than what they take to be Sharia's immutable terms. One American administration after another is believed it could suppress jihadist terrorism, and democratize the Muslim Middle East by either ignoring or co-opting Sharia. Well, I got a, I got a thing. Why do we even care about democratizing the Muslim Middle East to begin with? Why were we there to begin with? What is America's role? This is, this is where McCarthy doesn't realize he's actually a progressive. He wants to democratize everything, but I mean, or at least occupy everything. Now, McCarthy is strange here because he points out that this is very progressive and he doesn't like it, but yet he still is a neoconservative and progressive at the same time. It's, it's strange. One American, I said this, uh, is, Islam's fundamental law, however, is the rationale for jihadism and its implicable by, uh, basis for Islamic resistance to Western law and mores. In his Wilsonian turn, President George W. Bush insisted that the desire for freedom resides in every human heart, but the beating heart of fundamentalist Islamic culture is Sharia, an Arabic, Arabic, the path which leads to the ideal of total submission to Allah. That ideal is essentially the opposite of the freedom that President Bush had in mind, right down to its rejection of a wall of separation between the spiritual and political realms. Over the last 20 years, I've elaborated on the heinousness of Sharia supremacism more times than I care to count. My purpose has not been to sow discord, quite the opposite. It has been to urge that we resist sociological experiments and democracy promotion that do not have a, a prayer of working but that sap public support for defensive measures, such as denying safe havens to jihadists that are essential to national security and to prevention of such catastrophes, I'm sorry, as, as 9-11. So um, what, what McCarthy is saying, we, we shouldn't build governments. We should just occupy. And when we occupy, we prevent safe havens. So let's just occupy everything to protect the United States. And this is a very gunboat diplomacy, British liberal position from the middle of the 19th century. That's essentially what the British were thinking about. We're just going to occupy everywhere, and that way we can have no resistance to us. It's, a, it's not necessarily a Wilsonian progressivism. It's a British liberalism, imperial liberalism, that McCarthy would be more in line with here. White supremacism did not cause the Capitol riot, nor is it indicative of systemic racism in the United States. But Sharia supremacism did cause 9-11. It is also the reason militant organizations such as the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and Hezbollah exist. If every one of these organizations were dismantled, jihadism would still exist. New jihadist factions would arise and would continue targeting the West because the animating ideology, Sharia supremacism, were made alive and well. 
Kalizad, a very bright and well-meaning humanitarian, is unfortunate to be the embodiment of our eminent, eminent defeat. He was the British administration diplomat who oversaw the drafting of the new Afghanistan's 2004 constitution. It is a monument to the delusion that Sharia and Western liberty are perfectly compatible, at least. That's what Americans are told. While the constitution itself took pains to make Sharia the principal law of the land. Naturally, Ambassador Khalizad was among the most shocked when apostates continued to be sentenced to death. Though such sentences were perfectly compatible with the constitution, notwithstanding its lip service to civil rights and social justice. Seamlessly, Khalizad became the Trump envoy in charge of selling the fantasy that we could competently pull forces out of Afghanistan because the Taliban would now turn on their steadfast Al-Qaeda ally. That, by the way, was the same Taliban with which Khalizad negotiated, even though the Taliban refused to acknowledge the Kabul government that we'd spent over 2,000 lives and a trillion dollars standing up. The same Taliban that Khalizad and the State Department deferentially accepted as the Islamic Emirate of of Afghanistan even though, state, even though state instead, of course, that the U.S. does not recognize such a regime. So, I mean, again, let me, let me pause here for a second. He's, he's hot on Khalizad because Khalizad apparently um, was this very, you know, kind of lefty, progressive in the Trump administration. We need to pull out, but yet we're going to recognize this. So, again, what, what McCarthy wants is indefinite occupation. We're just going to put our boot on him. No matter how much it costs, 2,000 lives, trillion dollars. I mean, that's the real, the 2,000 lives, of course, every life is, is lost is terrible. But can the United States even afford this anymore? A trillion dollars? Do we want to spend another trillion? How about another two, three, four, five, six? What's another 10 trillion to occupy a region indefinitely and to stay there for 40, 50, 60, 100 years? So that there's no, and this is what he would suggest. We need to put our boot everywhere that might have Islamic terrorists and that will keep them down. Well, on the other hand, why are they attacking the United States? Well, because we are interested in the Middle East. So if we stayed out of the Middle East and we protected our real borders, which is through immigration, through real defensive measures, would they even be here to begin with? The Clinton administration looked the other way at the Taliban's creation and did nothing about their harboring of Al-Qaeda. But see, Taliban... That was already being developed before Clinton. The Bush administration insisted that the Taliban were not our enemy, and its State Department declined to designate the Taliban as a terrorist organization. The Obama administration elevated the Taliban into a peace partner worthy of negotiations, even as the Taliban colluded with Iran and al-Qaeda in operations against American troops. The Trump administration pretended that you could end a forever war without losing to the Taliban by simply leaving, even as officials knew they needed to mislead Americans about the Taliban's intentions and loyalties. And now the Biden administration gets to preside over what will be the most shameful American moment on the world stage since the fall of Saigon in 1975. Again, another episode of empire, empire building and aggressive foreign policy that failed to work. You see, the real core of all this is, should we even be involved in all these countries to begin with? Is there another way? Was the Vietnam War just? He's talking about Vietnam there. Should we have been in Vietnam? Absolutely not. Should we have been in Afghanistan? Or should we have used the Ron Paul method of having letters of mark and reprisal take out the terrorists with that and then let the other people live in peace and have a government that reflects what they want? See, political culture matters. A long time ago, Joe Biden actually was asked, this is before he was President Biden, about Iraq. And he said, look, what we need to do is divide up Iraq. 
and have a you know not have a strong central authority. Let's have federalism essentially. Let's have these regional governments, and that would be better. He was excoriated for this, but he was right. Why do we have to have this strong central authority? Why do we have these states? Through it all, the Taliban, which could have stayed in power had they just agreed to hand over al-Qaeda leaders after 9-11, but wouldn't, never wavered in their hostility to the United States, their vows that they would ultimately win, and their conviction that a superpower fearful of condemning the ideology of the, that catalyzes its opposition is not serious about fighting. 20 years, and here and we are still where we were on September 10th, 2001. Well, I mean, look, the fact that the United States um, will not say negative things about radical Islam, though, of course, the Bush administration did, the Trump administration did, Obama not so much, but the Trump administration did, the Bush administration certainly said these things. In fact, if you go back to George W. Bush saying there's an axis of evil, I mean, he said these things, right? So, but they were all interested in nation building and that democracy could win the day. And I remember as an undergraduate in college, I had a leftist political science professor. He stood up and said, you know what? All these things, democracy is the key. If we can just get democracy everywhere, well, we won't have people opposing us because democratic governments don't fight each other. That's the Wilsonianism. That's the international leftism that is certainly part of this. Democracies don't fight each other. Totalitarian governments fight each other, or totalitarian governments fight democracy, but democracies don't fight each other. So the idea was you have these democracies in the Middle East and we're not going to get involved in wars because the people don't want that ultimately. So this is Andrew McCarthy. This is the neoconservative position. Hey, look, let's have boots on the ground everywhere where there could be a firestorm of anti-American sentiment. It doesn't matter how long it takes. doesn't matter how long we're there, how much it spends, how much we spend either in lives or money. It doesn't matter because uh, we need to keep these Islamic terrorists out of the United States and we keep them there, or we keep them clamped down there in those regions. Now, his prediction, of course, is we're going to have massive 9-11-style attacks all over the United States within months because of this particular withdrawal from Afghanistan. Time will tell. I mean, if that happens, I mean, maybe he's right about that. I don't know. Hope not. I hope none of that is right. I hope Because, I mean, this that would be a disaster. But on the other hand... Uh, can the United States afford both men and material the amount of money and time it takes to be involved in Afghanistan long term? That's not something I think Americans are willing to continue to do. And so should we even have gone in in the first place? That's the question. The old right would say no. The paleo-libertarians would say no. We shouldn't have been there in the first place. That was the mistake to begin with. All right. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. <laughs>